0: So good morning, afternoon, welcome to our Center for Spiritual Awareness online retreat. This is the second week of our August retreat, and we're continuing with our uh, discussion of the Bhagavad Gita, study of the Gita, and I'll remind everyone as we go forward that if you have questions, you can feel free to just unmute yourself and ask the question at the time that it comes up. Um, so we can be responsive and appropriate to the needs of everybody in the group and um, I assure you if you have a question, someone else does too these are These are not personal, you know they're not unique um, so we will continue and uh but before I start, I was reminded uh as we conclude our meditation practice, Mr. Davis always always had us take a moment to open our hearts and be compassionate and share our consciousness with the world, share our consciousness with everyone, everywhere. And as we think about um, being compassionate, it's, you know, this is a, a Buddhist ideal. The Buddhists are very, very focused on compassion, open heart. Uh, and it's one of those things that intellectually sounds Wonderful to be compassionate and caring and loving and until we run into someone who's just abusive and uh, domineering and creating problems and, you know, very, very challenging. And when people treat us badly, when they uh, misuse us or misuse our friends or uh, are making uh, big problems on the planet, uh, we have sometimes a challenge. How do we find compassion for, you know, the things that are hard, difficult? It's easy to be compassionate for the, you know, for the little things around us. But when we talk about the big things, then how do we do this? Is that possible? Is this just a good idea? And so I was reminded. Uh, I saw recently saw a documentary um, that was made about. Uh, women in tibet who were in the, who were uh, uh, participating in a liberation movement they were trying to to become free from the Chinese. The Chinese came in in nineteen forty seven and pretty much took over tibet and by nineteen fifty seven uh, the Dalai Lama had to escape had to had to uh, literally escape out the back door of the, the palace uh, disguised as a bodyguard for one of the monks uh, to be able to sneak out of the country and make his way across the Himalayas to get into Dara Masala. and uh, so it was very challenging and and there were uh, there was an uprising 15,000 women in Tibet <clears throat> and these were this was there was no internet and there were really not very well informed at all about what was happening in the rest of the world and here is these 15,000 women just got together and said this is enough we're not taking it anymore and had this revolution in tibet and the chinese didn't take nicely to that and so there were many that were killed many that were imprisoned and one of the women that was imprisoned was um held in captivity for something like 28 years. And she was the kind of the focus of this documentary. And for the first 17 years, 16 years, um, because she refused to kind of cooperate, she continued, they, they weren't allowed to have prayer beads. And so she made her own out of some fabric, you know, wound up some little pieces of cloth to make her own prayer beads and continued to do her Her mantras are Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum. And the Chinese uh, um, officials that had her in captivity, they kept beating her and telling her not to do this. Finally, they put her in confinement and they kept her there for uh, 16 years. So she was living in a dark cell with hardly any food. And finally, after 16 years, 17 years, they let her out. But she remained in captivity for 28 years, and she said that she was just so dedicated to making it through this so she could get out and tell the Dalai Lama in detail everything that had happened. And out of the, I think she said, 300 women that were imprisoned along with her, four survived. That's tough. So after 28 years, they let her out. She made her way back to the Dalai Lama in Dharamsala and told him her story and all the details and she remembered everything. And, you know, and she was a very, very bitter woman. And so the Dalai Lama told her, (coughs) he said, you must not think about these individuals. It's the system. You must have compassion for the individual." And she said it took a long time, but she was finally able to come past this you know hatred and anger and anxiety and uh, and have compassion for those for her captors, so to learn to do this after that much you know that's something that's really intense so and if she could do that. You know, we we haven't had quite that much. <laughs> Nobody that I know has had quite that much of a challenge. We've had some serious things, but uh, but it's possible to open our heart to be compassionate. The Dalai Lama tells a story about one of the lamas that was in, that was also in cap, incarcerated, uh, taken into captivity, at the time when he was escaping. And this fellow was in prison for something like 20 years and tortured and, you know, it was terrible, terrible conditions. And he got when he got out, he was speaking with the Dalai Lama and he said, you know, the greatest challenge, I was, I was facing grave danger, grave danger. What's the grave danger? He said, I almost lost my compassion. So, you know, this is this is where we can come to. This is the place where we can see that every individual is God incarnate. And we have compassion for whatever suffering, whatever place they are. And when
1: we can do this. Ron? So, hmm. Hey, Ron? Hmm. Ron yes i had two two points uh that i thought were pertinent the first when dalai when the dalai lama was asked who was your greatest spiritual teacher without hesitation he replied mao and in my own life uh whenever i've had uh someone that did what i thought was a terrible thing to me and my family and i used a buddhist practice i took their picture and put it on my altar and every day i would say may you be happy may you be p- peaceful May you be free from suffering. And I'd, I'd also say hello. And it took several months of doing this every day. And my heart opened to this person. And it was, it was, it was, there was no more bitterness there. No, no more thinking about the harm that had been done. And mm-hmm. several years later, this person did the same kind of thing that was very hurtful to me. And so I found myself just filled with this bitterness again. So I put his picture back on my altar and did it again. And all that bitterness went away. And then several years later he did it again. And this bitterness came back And for the third time I put his picture on my altar. And for the third time I was successful to open my heart to him. So it's a wonderful practice to have to, I found it very useful.
0: Good. Yes. And we can do it. And it's, as you say, it's a practice. You know, this is something, It's it, it doesn't, we're not trained to do this from youth. We have to learn to be looking in a different way. Um, and as we'll see in the, in the Gita here, Mr. Davis reminds us that we can't solve a problem at the same level of consciousness it was created from. So if we're going to get past the upsets and get past the challenges and get past the suffering, we have to change our consciousness. We change our consciousness. We look at it from a new perspective. We move around it, over it, under it, but uh, but we can always um, handle it and get past it. So, so compassion. So uh, today we begin chapter seven. This is the chapter of wisdom and realization. Krishna is speaking about wisdom and realization. And this is, this is a chapter where we really get into a a, a dissertation, an explanation about the nature of God. What is God? You know, what is, uh, what is this ultimate reality and the importance of having this direct realization. And again, Mr. Davis had this beautiful definition of realization, and that is to make real. That is to have direct knowledge and experience of whatever it is that we're looking at. So if we're looking at God, ultimate reality, Ishvara, we're talking about having this direct knowledge and experience, and this is important. Just having the information, just having a lot of knowledge and definitions and terms is not enough. We can we you know we can talk talk and talk and talk about these concepts and this philosophy, but when we really open up and allow ourselves to have the experience, it becomes real. Then it's then it's something that we own and that we can operate from. Otherwise it's just another good idea, you know. So So we start off and, and Krishna says, listen, Arjuna, I will tell you how you can know me beyond doubt by practicing non-attachment and surrendering yourself to me. I will tell you how you can know me beyond doubt. Again, not only to just intellectually know, but to realize, to experience, to go beyond thinking about and to have this inner uh, realization. I will teach you the essence of this wisdom and its realization when you come to master this there's nothing further that remains to be known so we we rid the mind of all the restricting tendencies all of the influences we, when we get rid of all the obstacles all the things that, that are limiting uh, that stand in the way, then what's left is this illumination of consciousness. Our awareness becomes clear, pure, that is, that we know. and Not know in an intellectual way, but we know because we've had the experience. You know, you walk outside your front door, and you know what the temperature is. You know because you feel it, you have senses, you can tell exactly what's happening. In the same way, when you wake up and have this experience of awareness, consciousness, then you know. Then when we go back and look at the philosophy, when we talk about the concepts and the descriptions and and how we're pointing to this experience, it makes sense. All of a sudden, it all comes together and the questions go away because it's like, oh, I see what they're saying. I get it. Remember, again... You know, the the description is not the thing. The map is not the territory. So we keep talking about how these things are. And the talking is kind of a way of directing our attention, our awareness, so that we can have that experience for ourselves. And he goes on and says, of 10,000 men and women, perhaps one strives for perfection. One out of 10,000. And of 10,000 who strive, perhaps one knows me in truth. So 10,000 walk by the door and they're just oblivious. And of the 10,000 that actually walk through the door and participate and engage and study, ten thousand one out of those, actually gets it. Actually, you know, wakes up actually is able to have this experience, and it's not because it's so difficult. It's it's just because there are so many distractions, so many things that are uh, going on. Uh, Mr. Davis says most people are just not sincere. So, so this is why out of those ten thousand that actually find their way to a spiritual path of some kind you know, most of them are, they're kind of shopping. He said, these were shoppers. They kind of, they drop in, see what's happening, kick the tires uh, and then go on to the next thing. And they go to the next thing. And so one day they're at this seminar and the next day they're in that workshop. And then they have, you know, another book and another program and another discussion and, and they just superficial. And uh, and many people are very egocentric. They feel themselves to be so separate, so isolated, so that the ego is so strong, uh, the sense of separation is so strong, that they, they have a very difficult time getting past that. And he says many people are just not aware of their own potential. So they don't they, they don't realize that they have this capacity within them, and so they don't aspire to be fully awake. You know, we see, we hear stories about the Dalai Lama and the, you know, this monk who is, or this Lama, who's in prison for 20 years and in the gravest danger he faces is the fact that he may lose compassion for his captors. You know, we hear about those and we think, wow, that's a really special person. I cannot imagine myself being like that. I cannot imagine that I have the potential to be like a Paramahansa Yogananda or a Roy Eugene Davis. They're really special. See, if we don't imagine that we have the potential, then we don't aspire. And that's what they say. They tell us, aspire. Just whatever I've done, you can do. You know, remember when uh, uh, Roy tells the story, when Yogananda ordained him, um, and he asked, he asked Roy to kneel down and he said, uh, heal as I have healed, teach as I have taught and initiate sincere seekers into the path of Kriya Yoga. And and Roy said, his fellow minister there was a little bit surprised. And, and he asked Yogananda, he said, he said, you mean that Roy is to initiate? And and Yogananda's response was, of course, and you too. The same God is in me that is in me is in you. And what I have done, you can do. So this to be able to acknowledge that we have this potential within us to be fully awake, to be fully conscious, to be liberated in this life cycle, you know, this is a starting point is to say, yes, it's possible. I'm not sure how but I, but it is possible. And, and in this possibility, there is something that can lead to guide. And all I have to do is to follow the lead. You see, do what the wise ones have recommended, show up, participate, practice and notice that there is progress being made day by day, every day, every week, every month, every year. I look back and I say, wow, you know, I don't see dramatic changes in the short term but when i look back over the arc of my life pretty big changes pretty major you know from here to there from there to here so acknowledging that we have the potential and many people are not involved because they they're not aware of god period there is no concept no idea of this higher reality whatever that might be um and many are just disinterested they you know they've heard the concept they hear people talk about god and it's sort of uh, one of those things but they just don't have any personal interest they're much more involved in you know the regular day-to-day life and all and occupied with what's you know the the objects of their senses and fulfilling desires and avoiding suffering um some just are, are ignorant they just they, they're they don't know what to do they have a lack of knowledge some are preoccupied with their personal stuff to the level where you know they don't have time and some believe that it's impossible to actually know god so they don't believe it's possible so again we have to open ourselves and aspire and some have psychological disorders that is emotional unrest um mental restlessness confusion uh addictive tendencies self-defeating ideas you know these things that are that we carry around some carry around not us of course but others we're talking about those people out there uh and so so when we notice that you know self-defeating limiting these ideas that come up um These are obstacles that stand in the way of our aspiration to be fully awake. And then Krishna goes on. He says, Earth, fire, water, and wind, air, and mind, and understanding, and this eye sense. These are the eight aspects of my physical nature. So here, basically, he's describing Samkhya philosophy, He's saying there are five elements, that is earth, water, fire, air, and space or ether, together with manas, mind, buddhi, discernment, discrimination, and ahamkara, the sense of separation, the eye maker. So these are the these are the eight characteristics of this expressive, manifest, individualized. Reality <clears throat> And Roy says that when mind, when manas, when the mind is pure, it's sattvic. So this is, we're open, receptive, sattvas is the, is this radiant, elevating, expressive aspect. When our mind is clouded, then rajas, rajas is, is the, passionate, activating, and when the mind is clouded, and passion, then rajas is uh, dominant. And when, we're, when the mind is clouded and passive, then rajas makes us restless. So individuals are restless and moving around, having to do something, the next thing, the next thing. And when the mind is very active but clouded, then we become passionate or forceful so this is rajas so we so when we find that we're being very assertive and forceful and pushy you know this is rajas active and so we're not completely clear this this is the result of a clouded not clear mind and then tamas which is the heaviness inertia when tamas is active then in the passive state we're apathetic So the individual just doesn't really care one way or the other. You know, let's go back to bed. Let's go watch some more television, apathy. And when tamasic tendencies are are activated, uh, they become destructive. So this is, and we know some tamasic people out on the planet. We see some that are running around and being very destructive. And we say, oh, okay, you know, this is how we have compassion is say this person is, actively tamasic you know this is this is this tendency this impulse that is operative in their system at this time and and gosh you know what a terrible place to be stuck in so we have compassion for them and we see them opening and awakening and moving beyond that so and we're all you know we've talked about the uh, samkhya philosophy and and how this expressive reality unfolds, and the gunas, these characteristics and attributes. And so, so Krishna goes on and says, this is my lower nature, but beyond this I have another higher nature, the life that sustains all beings in the world. So here Krishna again, enlightened consciousness, higher consciousness, God, ultimate reality is talking, and says... Here's this expressive aspect that is made of the elements and the mind and the discernment and the ego. But there's also another aspect of myself, which is the life force, the energy, the prana that expresses as everything that sustains all beings in the world. Know that it is the womb from which all beings arise. The universe is born within me. And the and within me it will be destroyed. So now we're talking from this higher consciousness. Everything is born within me, comes out of me, and in the end it is destroyed. So and I was just reading yesterday a new uh a new take on cosmology, which uh you know the the, the standard model sort of for for many years, probably since I was a kid. Uh, has been kind of the big bang theory where uh, there's this little teeny infinitesimal spark of uh, infinite energy that blows into creation expresses unfolds blossoms into manifestation and becomes the whole universe and uh and the people who are looking you know the scientists that study this and look at it they they're a little bit confused because it's, it's expanding faster than it should. It, you know, continues to grow faster and faster and faster. And, uh, and so this, this whole thing is a little bit, uh, hard for them to wrap their head around and figure out how that can work. And so somebody, you know, another group of people has taken another angle. So they're, remember the map is not the territory. So, They're looking at the territory from a different direction, have a different map. And their map and their mathematics and their understanding is suggesting that instead of the big bang, that the universe just comes out of this, into this uh, inflationary model of the universe, that they say that instead we're thinking that it's the big bounce the universe, because the problem is, of course, where did that little spark of infinite energy come from to be able to do all this? And so, <clears throat> so now they're saying, you know, it looks like the universe actually inflates, blows up, and then it comes back, and then it inflates, and then it comes back, and that, that this is the big bounce instead of the big bang and that there is an an infinite unending process that this universe is just a part of. And I read that and I think, wow, this is sounding a lot like, uh, (laughs) like yoga, uh, yogic philosophy. This is sounding a lot like the way to describe a day of God and a night of God, the universe comes into being and then goes to sleep and then comes back into being. And, and this fluctuation, the vibration, this ebb and flow um, really resonates because everything that we look at in the manifest universe, and certainly in the world around us, has this same kind of property. It has this ebb and flow, coming and going, and, you know, contraction and distraction, I mean, expression and distraction. Um, so this is the way we see everything working and it makes perfect sense to me that the universe probably works the same way on the macro scale as it does on the, on the mini scale. So all is in me, I, I am consciousness, this uh, expressive reality is the womb from which everything expresses, out of which it blossoms. I remember um, Alan Watts used to say that an apple tree is apple lane. Apples blossom, they come out of the tree. This is what the tree does. And the ocean is waving. This is what the ocean does, it waves. This is the nature of the ocean. And the universe is peopling. The universe expresses as individuals, as each of us. There's nothing more fundamental than I, Arjuna. All worlds, all beings... Are strung upon me like pearls on a single strand. All beings, everything is in me, and I am in everything. I am the taste in water, I am the light in the moon and the sun, the sacred syllable om in the Vedas, and the sound in the air. I am the fragrance in the earth, the manliness in men, the brilliance in fire, the life in the living and the abstinence and the aesthetics. I am the primal seed within all beings, Arjuna, the wisdom of those who know the splendor of the high and mighty. Everything, everything. I am the strength of the strong man who is free of desire and attachment. I am desire itself when desire is consistent with duty. So, so we're getting this picture, he's describing that Everything that's happening is c- consciousness, is this expressive consciousness. It is everything. All states of being, whether marked by sattva or rajas or tamas, all states of being proceed from me. They are in me, not I in them. So this is all happening within consciousness. So... Is this beautiful uh, picture and it's it's very useful for us to contemplate this and kind of try to expand our consciousness, our awareness a little bit and to feel this connection that we have with life, to feel this connection of life that is moving through us and expressing as us and that we really aren't in control of but we can certainly appreciate the, the the idea, the sense that we're in control of these things is this ego. This is the I the maker. I'm doing this. I make my body breathe and it's up to me to make sure that it works. You know, we have this sense, this idea, but it's foolishness. And you know it's foolishness because, you know, all you have to do is just hold your breath until you pass out. You can't do it. it's impossible because you're not the one that's running the show. You can say, Oh yes, I'm so powerful and I'm going to make this happen. Go ahead. Just go ahead. Hold your breath until you pass out. You can't do it. See? So what are you in control of? What, who, what is it that is in control? See? So we, we have to lose this idea of separation and recognize life is this wonderful process and we're it, and we're in it, and we're participating with it. Because most men are deluded by states of being, they cannot recognize me. Because most men are deluded by the states of being, they cannot recognize me, who am above these. Well, I am supreme, eternal. But those men who turn to me, who turn to me can penetrate beyond this wondrous power of mind, this magic that is created by the three gunas. We don't, again, this is is where Mr. Davis says, a problem can't be solved um, by the same states of consciousness that produced it. But men who turn to me can penetrate beyond this wondrous power of mine, this magic created by the three gunas. So we turn back to consciousness. We turn back to this experience of being. And in this way, we see through the illusion. Illusion. Sense of illusion is defined. uh, The word for that in Sanskrit is maya. And maya is said to be form building and truth veiling. So maya is this sense of separation, form building, maya is the same root word for mother and measure, magic. All these are, are words that evolve from maya. So the magic spell that we're under that sees everything as being separate from everything else and sees us as being separate from everything else that creates the appearance of all these different forms. This is maya. You see, this is the sense of illusion. It's not real, but it allows all this drama. When we turn away from Maya, when we turn our attention back within and rest in pure awareness, pure consciousness, then we experience being. And when we experience this being, then we become involved once again. And now we play with Maya instead of being the victim of it. So. Maya, you know, what is the, the, the illusory sense of the world, is not a bad thing. You know, There are some, some who teach that Maya is evil. They equate Maya with the devil and, you know, forces of evil. And it's out here trying to get us. It doesn't have an agenda. It doesn't have a personality. It's just that we're just describing the way processes work and the process of becoming the process of becoming identified as an individual and then naturally automatically looking around and seeing all the other individuals, this sense of separation, this, this emerges within us. It doesn't come from some force outside. So Maya doesn't have a personality. We don't have to be afraid. We just notice, okay, this is how things are working. This is how it happens, you know, and understanding that we can work with it. So we can't solve the problem from the state, same state of consciousness that it was created in. As long as we feel limited and separate, we have these problems. As soon as we rise above that, we recognize, oh, there's something going on here that has a lot of different components. It's complex. And and we see it from a different viewpoint, a different standpoint. We stop taking everything personally, we learn to be compassionate, to keep our heart open. And remember, heart is the essence of our being. It's not the physical heart. It's not the heart chakra, although this is associated with our compassion. <laughs> this is associated with our, our essence of being, our, you know, our self. Um, but it is much deeper than that. It is the feeling, the sense of me, of I. You know, this essence is, is uh, my expressive reality. And so, so we want to maintain this. Uh, we want to come to the place where we are open and aware and operating from this standpoint of connectedness. This is why, in the in the in the, Bhagavad, in the uh, Yoga Sutra, you know, we read where Patanjali said, in order to be tranquil, in order to really make progress, we should be friendly, compassionate, joyful dispassionate, that is not attached and not had with strong aversions. And we should rejoice for the good things that happen for other people. See, this is all rising above, rising above. Others are deluded by my power. They don't even attempt to find me. And in their ignorance, they sink into demonic evil. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> so if you don't want to sink into demonic evil, <laughs> if you don't want to be be uh you know one of the forces of evil on the dark side of the force, um then we want to wake up. We want to resolve these conflicts. We move uh we move past the confusion, the delusion, the self-centeredness, the ego-centeredness, these things that are limiting our awareness, our viewpoint, the way we look at the world. So we we want to let go, we want to move, move, move beyond these things and wake up because nobody wants to be a demon mostly unless you're in a superhero comic book you know the demons are the ones that always want to rule the world years ago i used to uh, get together with a group of friends on friday night and we would play darts throw darts and whoever won the darts that night on that had to be was in, responsible for being in charge of the universe for the next week and it's a lot of responsibility all I can tell you is um, so we don't want to be we don't want to be evil we don't want to be trying to take over the world just be awake and I think that's a good place for today uh, tomorrow we'll talk about the virtuous the various types of virtuous men and women but this is good for Monday First, are there any questions?
2: Ron, could could I ask a question, please? Sure. The ones that... uh, I'm looking at this Sutra 14. Those who take refuge in me alone transcend it. Do those that take refuge in Krishna, divine consciousness, they transcend it. Are they then outside this bounce, as you describe it, this coming and going? The delusions, they they stand outside it like we would stand outside a dream. Is this world that comes and goes sort of like a dream and they're standing outside the dream, not no longer subjected to this back and
0: forth, this bounce? Well, the the back and forth, the bounce is the nature of the world. So uh it's not that we're that we're outside of it, it's that we're not the effect of it, that we are that we are, we can engage mindfully. In other words, life is wonderful. We, you know, the objective here is not to get out of life, not to see how quickly we can get out of this body and off the planet, but rather it's to be mindful. And if we know that, what, that what's happening here is all this play of God, this Leela, then we can engage in it mindfully without being, without suffering without feeling limited and confined and constrained. See? So but the but the world continues to to fluctuate. Nothing stays the same. There's it's constantly in change. And if it's constantly in change, that means some people are going to think it's getting better and some people are going to think it's getting worse. See? Hmm. But the fact is it's just changing. So it depends on where you're looking at it from whether well, things are going in a good direction or things are really falling apart. That's all relative. If we're established in consciousness, if we're established in this higher center and we recognize the whole thing is constantly fluctuating and it's not good and it's not bad, it's just moving in this evolutionary unfolding manner and we can cooperate with it. You know, Mr. Davis, one of his... Logos, the one that we have on the website. There is an enlivening power, that's God. There's an enlivening power, that's Krishna, that's consciousness, that nurtures the universe, and we can learn to cooperate with it. So it's not about getting out, it's about staying in mindfully. Does that make sense?
2: Could I ask just one further question on that? In, In some of the previous sutras, there's reference made to not returning those that go through many, many lives, and he, even Krishna is saying the ones that no longer have to return to this.
0: Mm-hmm. Are
2: those that are transcending, say, say Yogananda, he transcends mm-hmm. this. Does that mean that he's going to perhaps to a higher dimension of what we're experiencing, those of us who have not transcended? Is that what mm-hmm. referencing when they speak of not having to return time and time
0: again? Right right and and again and as mr davis would remind us i remember many times and i will i will say the same thing and that is i don't have personal knowledge of what happens in between lifetimes but we can report you know we have the reports of those who claim to and we have the basic philosophical principles and that is that when we leave this physical plane there is a more subtle one this astral Uh, prana this energetic uh, being and and we can relate to that we can really have a good pretty good concept because it's just like being in a dream so in a dream we don't have a material physical body and so we can imagine okay well when I leave this physical world I'm gonna be in this astral world which is this dreamlike state and then Beyond that dreamlike state, beyond that, there is this causal, this level that is um, uh, that is um, comprised of ideas. So beyond of, of concepts, this is the manas, the mind. So that we go to this mental level. So we have these layers that are described, and what they say is, you know, you make progress on this level, on this physical level. And whatever progress you make it goes with you, you don't lose anything. But if we haven't fully awakened, then when we find that we are no longer carrying a body around, we're in this astral, dreamlike astral reality, it's much more difficult to make progress. Just like it's much more difficult to kind of control your dream. Your dreams, you know, they, they have no stability. There's not so much Tamas in the dream world. And so there's, there's no structure and things kind of just, they just morph from one thing to another, random. And to be conscious and mindful and, and see our way through that is much more difficult, is what they say. So this birth that we have as a physical being gives us the stability, the foundation, the grounding to really go all the way. And when we say go all the way, we're talking about being fully awake. When we're fully awake, then we don't have to fiddle around with these inner intervening levels or ways of expressing because they are all still short of uh, pure consciousness. And they all, and again, you know, in our philosophy, we go back and study and they say, you know, you're going to hang around in the astral world until you either make progress and break through to this mental level to this causal level or until you're called back in your your conditionings, your karma draws you back into involvement on the physical level and you take another birth so so we are bouncing back and forth from either from astral to physical or from astral to causal from causal to more subtle so So these are all just kind of, you know, levels in the game. And what the yogis tell us, what our masters tell us is, you know, you can continue to play that for a thousand million lifetimes, or you can just wake up. And if you just wake up, then you are there. And no matter where you find yourself, no matter where you are led to express, you'll always be awake. See, always you will never fall back you'll never uh, get stupid again you know so <laughs> so and that's why roy said get with it you know get it get do it now your life is going to be better in this the rest of this incarnation and you won't have to return it doesn't mean that you won't it just means you don't have to there's no compulsion you're no longer the effect of outside causes and effects you know, the forces that makes sense?
2: Yes, thank you very much. It's very helpful.
0: Good. All right, and we'll be back tomorrow, continuing in Chapter 7 with the Gita. So, thank you all.